Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Good morning, church. Good to see all of you today. Wow. Um, <clears throat> man, I, I have to tell you, I'm so excited to be able to be here on this stage today to be able to share with you the Word of God, the living Word of God, the God of the universe speaking, and we get to hear, right? Amen. Is anybody else excited about that? This is, this is the, the greatest thing that we get to do. We get to actually go into this we get to dive deep into it. We get to look for the treasure that is hidden, right? And then we can take it up. And that's, that's my joy as a preacher is to be able to look into the Word, find those treasures, and be able to bring them out to you guys. And so we can look at them together and delight in them and worship our God. So, uh, man, it's, it is a pleasure. That's, and that's, I don't know if you guys know that, but that's one of our core values here at this church is depth. We want to go deep into the Word of God, and we want to share it with others. So we want to let it define our lives. Um, so uh, I'm very excited to be able to share that with you. If you're new here, again, Lucius already mentioned this, uh, but we're, we're happy to have you here. What's that noise going on there? We're happy to have you here. We're so excited to, to see your faces here. Um, and we want to connect with you. I want to connect with you. So if you want to connect after you want to talk with this crazy guy, I, I'll try not to overwhelm you. Sometimes I can overwhelm people. I'll subdue myself, and, uh, and then we can have a conversation, and I'd love to get to know you. But um, anyway, so if you haven't been with us, we've been in a series in Matthew. So we're in Matthew 14 today, and um, this series has essentially, we've been looking at the kingdom. In so many different ways, learning so much about the kingdom, it would be hard to summarize all the things that we've been learning. Uh, the last little kind of sub-sermon series, little, little mini-sermon series that we just uh, got through is uh, on the parables and how the parables, we, we saw that they teach us about the nature of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? What is it like and Jesus, he expounds on this, and he gives us insight into the kingdom of heaven, his kingdom. I mean, that is incredible that we get insights into that uh, through his teaching. Now, lately, we've been, we kind of got out of the parables, um, but what we've been seeing is these different stories. And these stories, a lot like the parables, they teach us more about the kingdom of God. I don't know if you remember Eric Carter's sermon on, uh, on the reason why uh, Jesus spoke in parables, but he mentions this, that we get insights, that these stories can sometimes be kind of like parables and give us insights into the very kingdom of heaven. And so I think that we see that today uh, in this passage, and um, uh, today we're going to learn something new about the kingdom of God, and it's a very simple idea. It's that the kingdom of God cannot be limited. The kingdom of God cannot be limited. And, uh, you know, I, I first, when I was uh, first going through my notes and preparing this message, I called this uh, sermon, uh, He Satisfies in Desolate Places. And, and that's so true. 
And, uh, but I think that even this would probably have been a better title to the sermon, is that the kingdom of God cannot be limited. It doesn't matter where or what time it is, what place it is, what little you have. That's the power of the king of heaven, that he can provide his power uh, to help in, in any situation. He cannot be limited by anything, by a place, by the time, by lack of means, by the greatness of the need, by the weakness of the people, he cannot be limited. Uh, the kingdom of heaven cannot be limited, and, and specifically the power of the kingdom of heaven cannot be limited, because the kingdom of heaven is limitless in power, okay? I'm just saying a very simple idea, just repeating it over and over again, okay? Because so, I'm hoping you get it, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's so important for us to get this, and, and that's what we'll be talking about today. So let's start with a word of prayer and just invite the Spirit to teach us. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for this blessing to be with brothers and sisters, the family of God, to have people who are, maybe they're not brothers and sisters yet, but people who are here who are seeking you, people you are drawing to yourself. Thank you that we get to assemble and look at your precious word, your powerful word, and that your presence is here among us in your Holy Spirit, in power to do your works, to accomplish your pleasure. So Lord, let us experience your presence here today. Knock down anything that would prevent us, any walls, any hindrance, any, anything that we dealt with this week, any sin that we are guilty of, that we feel guilt for still. Knock that down, Lord, and help us to see the power of Christ that can overcome any darkness, that cannot be limited even by our weakness, even by our past. Lord, come among us teach us, speak to us. We are desperate to hear from you. We are desperate to be changed by you. And Lord, we, we look to the hope that we have in Christ today. We look to, to know more about the riches of the inheritance that you have given us in Christ. We look to you to teach us more about the power that is at work in us. The same power that you used to raise Christ from the dead and to seat him at your right hand. Above all powers, above all authorities and rulers, that same power teach us how it is at work in us today, Lord. Show us how your power is limitless toward us. Oh, Lord. Open our eyes. Let us see. Let us see, God. Let us weep over sin. Let us crave to be holy. Whatever you want to do among us, God, do. And let us know that, you, I, I pray that you would assure hearts today. Maybe, I, I think there are hearts that you have brought here today who have gone through times of spiritual famine, spiritual weakness, difficulty, barrenness, death. Lord, and it's so easy for us to look at those things and say, the kingdom is limited. God is limited. Heaven is limited. So assure our hearts today, Lord, that your power is not limited by whatever we have faced, God. Assure our hearts. Be with us. Let us see a manifestation of your power among us today, God. We receive gladly from you. We pray this in the power and name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Oh, man. Well, I'm excited. All right, so, um, so the passage today, Matthew uh, 14, I'm going to read it for you. We haven't even read the passage yet, right? So, um, <clears throat> so starting in verse 13. 
Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. (laughs) They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow. So that's a demonstration of the power of the King of heaven, the power of the kingdom of God. Now, what I want you to notice, though, because I'm talking about how the kingdom of heaven cannot be limited, but what, you, what I first see here, and what I want to talk through today, is how all the disciples could see in this situation was limitations, right? All they could see were limitations. They were not looking to their Lord, this king of heaven, for a demonstration of power, They were not looking to Christ for a supernatural provision, but instead they were looking at the natural limitations. That's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about what I see in here is about five limitations that the disciples and that we also limit our great God and Savior and Lord Jesus So let's spend some time looking at those five limitations. The first one, oh, uh, uh, I just realized that on the screen. Could you put um, the next, the first limitation? Is it not there on the slides? Oh, they are there? Okay. So yeah, there's the, so the first limitation uh, is the place. The first limitations the disciples bring up to the Lord is the place. And you see that in verse 15. And I just want to look at this phrase This first phrase that they say, they say, this is a desolate place, a desolate place. You know, the disciples, they were realists, right? They were practical. They weren't delusional, right? They weren't about to call this place something that it wasn't. They were right. They weren't wrong is another way of putting that, (laughs) right? They saw that this really was a wilderness, they saw nothing could, can grow here. 
There ain't no way that here in this place, 5,000 people are going to get fed. And they weren't going to deceive themselves with hollow optimisms. They were just saying, here's the reality. So you see their problem, it's not that they called this place what it was. That's just being honest. That's just the truth. Their problem was that that's all they saw. That's all they could see. All they could see was desolation. This is a wasteland. People can't get fed here, right? Maybe somewhere else. Maybe in another place. Maybe in the villages. Maybe in another city, right? What do we say? Maybe in another state. Maybe in another neighborhood. Maybe in the south. Maybe in Africa, India, China, maybe everywhere else in the world, but not here. Not here. You know, when I first came to, to Vermont, I was living in the Adirondacks. I had a call from the Lord to come to Burlington, and I could sense the spiritual darkness here. And, um, and the first thing I ran into was Christians saying, this, this is just the way things are here. This is just the way things are here. Things can't really grow here. This is rocky soil. This is hard soil. The political ideology, the philosophies, we can't penetrate it, right? It was known to church planters as the church planter's graveyard. If you wanted to plant a church here, you were expected to fail, okay? And, you know, I almost couldn't even believe it. I could imagine that the Lord could do this what we see here today, that the Lord could bring us together out of a classroom of 12 people into this. But that's what we often do, isn't it? We look at the wilderness about us. This is what the disciples did. They looked at the wilderness about them, and they took their eyes off of the one who was with them. You know, I'm also experiencing kind of a similar thing going to Montpelier, um, being commissioned by the church to go to Montpelier to preach the gospel. And I'm feeling the same thing that I felt in the early days here in Burlington. Is, it's, it's just like how the disciples forgot time and time again that Jesus could do miracles, right? Going there and saying, this is a desolate place. Can anything grow here? Can anything grow in this rocky soil? Maybe somewhere else, right? And I wonder if, if there's anybody who can relate to that. Um, to think that life, that vitality, that spiritual abundance, that the power of the kingdom of heaven just can't happen in my place. It can't happen in my workplace, in my office. It can't happen in my school. It can't happen in my classroom. My neighborhood? Have you met those people? It can't happen here. Maybe in another place, but nothing could thrive here. The disciples, they knew that they were in a desolate place. They were able to be honest with themselves about that, but it made their faith little for what the Lord could accomplish. It made their faith little for what was possible there. To them, the nature of this place limited the possibilities of Jesus. But we know that the kingdom of God is not limited by a place. The kingdom of God cannot be limited by a place. 
But besides that, there's another limitation I see here. They also recognized a limitation of time. That's the the next thing that the disciples brought up to him in verse 15. Look at that next phrase. The day is now over. This is a desolate place, and the day, it's over. It's evening time. It's sleepy time, (laughs) right? This is a time when no work can be done. This is a time when, when it's over for, for labor, for sowing, for reaping. That time has passed and it's replaced by a dark hour. You know, even Jesus knows that this is a principle that naturally is true. He said it in John chapter 9, verse 4, this principle. While it is daytime, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. There is a time, there is a season when it seems like nothing could happen. No work can be done. No produce can be taken. No yield, no harvest. The disciples, they're forgetting, however, the time that they're in, right? They're looking at this, they're they're busy looking at their watch, they're busy looking at their calendar, and they're forgetting the time that they're in that the Messiah had come, that the Son of God was with them, that Jesus was right next to them, Son of God incarnate, heaven's King with them at that time. So I I wonder if anybody here can relate to that kind of talk, right? That kind of talk that limits the kingdom of God to a time, to a season, You know, I think that we sometimes have these thoughts that creep into our mind. We have this phrase that comes to our mind, maybe at another time. Maybe when I was younger, I'm too old now. My time has passed. My day is over. Maybe when I was healthier, but my time has passed. I'm riddled with disease. Maybe... When I was innocent, the world hadn't taken me up, chewed me up, spit me out. Maybe when I was less hardened. Maybe when I was a younger Christian, right? Or maybe when we were a younger church. Maybe when we had that that passionate zeal of youth, right? When we first knew our Lord. And tears came to our eyes when we thought about the lost. And tears came to our eyes when we saw the baptized. We had passion then. Maybe then, that's when the Lord worked. That was that season of fruit. The time is over. The day is over. Maybe in an earlier generation, right? Maybe in the glory days. Maybe when the early church was at its fullest And Christians were going, spreading across the known world like fire, spreading the gospel. Maybe in that day, or maybe earlier in our nation, when revival rocked us, when the gospel grasped us and changed us. Maybe then, but not now. That time has passed. Evening has settled. The sun's setting. Darkness is falling. The day is over. And now we're in a new generation. We're in a new time. This is a new time, a new age. 
People have moved beyond that. They've moved beyond it. God is not a thought for them. God is not worshipped in these homes that you walk by. God is not worshipped here. He's not even a thought. His laws are not a thought. His grace, His gospel, His mercy, it's not a thought. Maybe in another time. Disciples, they're looking at their setting. They're looking at a desolate place. They're looking at the time at a dark hour. And they're looking at a third limitation. They're looking at the little that they have. The little that they have. In verse 16, so that's this third limitation is the means. In verse 16, despite the place and the hour, Jesus commands them to do something impossible. Feed the people. Right? Uh, Oh, it's not there, but verse 16, he says it. And... I mean, what, what are the disciples hearing this, this impossibility? What are they hearing? Jesus, I don't think they deliver out here. With what? With what? With what are we supposed to feed these people? Have you ever had your boss tell you to do something that made zero sense, right? And you just had to do it anyway because he's your boss, he or she? And... You just had to do it. I think that's kind of what's happening here. That's, that's what I feel like is happening with the disciples. They just got this command that makes no sense to them, and they're like, okay, yeah, all right, yeah, we'll do it, we'll do it, yeah, yeah. What is he talking about? This is great. Oh, yeah, let's look in the cooler. Okay, what do we got here? Looks like a half a peanut butter jelly sandwich. Looks like we got some home fries, half a dozen mozzarella sticks. With what are we supposed to feed them, Jesus. We got nothing. We got leftovers. We got a boy's lunch. Feed them with what? Five loaves and two fish. That's with what? That's what we have at hand. That's all we got. They, and that's what they said to him. We have only five loaves here and two fish. When the disciples heard this command... They looked to what they had at hand, and what they had was not enough. They thought that they had a resource problem. That's what they thought. Instead of considering the great power of the Christ, the means of the kingdom of heaven, right? The king of heaven who has all the cattle on a thousand hills, They considered the smallness of what they had. I don't know about you, but that's how my mind works. That's where my mind goes to when I think about anything that I need to do. When I think about what the Lord is calling me to. I think, sure, Lord, I'd love to do that. I would love to. My heart is there. If only I was rich. If only I was rich. If only I had a little more money. If only I got paid a little more, right? If only I had a, to, was able to raise my support money, all right, like some of these uh, jet-owning pastors, right? Like Ben, right? Jet owner right here. <laughs> right? If only I had a little more. And maybe some of you can relate to that. Like, yeah, I, I would love to do that, but I've got a billion kids to feed. That's also Ben, right? But he's got a jet, so he can afford it. <laughs> I've got a billion kids to feed. I can't do this. 
I've got to figure out retirement. I've got to pay a mortgage. I've got to pay my bills. I've got tuition to pay. That's expensive. (laughs) You know, our hearts and our eyes, they're on what we don't have instead of what Christ has, which is limitless power. Right? There's not enough food in the fridge. There's not enough money in my bank account. There's not enough time in my day. I don't have enough energy. I don't have the gifting. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not enough. There's not enough people. There's not enough people interested. There's not enough volunteers. Our group is too small. Our church is too small. Our seats are empty. There's not enough. Now, you know, there's a flip side to this. Um, Instead of looking at what we don't have, I think sometimes we can look at what we have, right? Instead of looking at what we don't have and, and that distracting us from the power and the unlimited potential of Christ, we look at what we have and are distracted. I think that we really struggle with that in America, right? Because if we're in the wilderness and we're, if we're in the desolate place and Jesus says, feed the people, we say, okay, I guess that's possible. All right, let me just call Uber Eats. Let me, uh, let me get some catering from Moe's. Okay, it's going to cost a lot, but, you know, uh, we've got some money in the account. We can, we can probably make this happen, right? They would have subverted a miracle of Jesus by their provision. <clears throat> that's what we think sometimes. I got a lot. Maybe if I just throw enough money at the problem, then I will fix it. Maybe if I just build it bigger and better, then I will fix it. I think there's nothing more indicative of the state of the American church is, is of the heart, the heart problem of the American church. Instead of limiting the power of heaven by what we don't have, we limit it by what we do have. Think about the American church, how much money is poured into it. Man, did you know that for every $330,000 that's poured into our American churches, we get one baptism? One baptism. It's a study done by Gordon Conwell College. That means that we're spending, as a nation, as American Christianity, $330,000 for every one baptism. We think if we just throw enough money, if we build our church building huge and bigger and spend a lot of money on the lighting and the sound equipment, we get big, good speakers, really good speakers, pay them a lot of money, we get a big staff, then we can, we can do it. But 95% of their funding goes to all of those things and where are the people? Where are the baptisms? Compare that to Mozambique where you spend $1,400 and get one baptism. We've got a spending issue. We've got a trust issue. We trust in what we have. And by that trust, we limit what Christ can do. Now, the fourth limitation, if you want to put that on the screen, is the need 
the need. So look at verse 14. Look at that phrase, he saw a great crowd. He saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. You see, when Jesus looked at the crowds, what did he see? He saw a people to have compassion on. He saw a people to heal. What did the disciples see, on the other hand? They saw a problem. They saw a logistical nightmare, right? They saw an impossibility. They saw a bunch of hungry people in rags, a bunch of diseased people, and they thought, what can we do with this? What can we do with these? They saw an impossibility. And look at the solution that they gave Jesus to this problem. Look at that phrase halfway through verse 15. Their solution was simple. Send the crowds away. Send the crowds away because they ain't going to get fed here. There's too big of a need. They got to go to the villages and buy food for themselves. They got to handle their problem. They got to handle their own issues. We're, We're too small. We can't do it. Buy food for yourselves. But Jesus, he said to them, they don't need to go away. You feed them. You feed them. Give them something to eat? You want us to give 5,000 people something to eat? Well, Jesus, maybe we we could do a smaller part of that. Maybe we could give one of these small families some food. But there's no way that we are going to help all these people. The need is too big. You see, the disciples' eyes, they were not on this King Jesus who satisfies the hungry and the thirsty. Their eyes were on the need. And the need was too great. There's too many. We can't help them. We don't have that problem, do we? Right? I think we do. I think that we do this in a couple ways. I think that we do this with our own needs. I've got too many issues. My issues are too many. My sins are too many. My anxiety, it runs too deep. My thoughts, they're too perverse. I've done too much wrong, too much evil. But don't you know that the power of Jesus, he can make forgiveness multiply to you? The blood of Christ is powerful to cleanse you. The king of heaven can make forgiveness abound to you. He can heal, cleanse, and forgive. That is the power of the king of heaven. The kingdom of God is not limited by our needs, our past But there's another way that we do this. We think about the needs around us. We look at that and we say, I'm the only Christian in my school. I'm the only Christian in my class. I'm the only Christian in my workplace, in my office, in my neighborhood. The need is too big. What can I do for them? I can't help them. Who am I? But don't you know that Jesus, he can multiply the few 
and make them many. Man, that's the history of Christianity. The final limitation that the disciples put on Jesus, and this one's a little more subtle. I didn't notice that at first, but I think it's the people themselves. Not the crowds, but the disciples. The very people that Jesus would use. In other words, the disciples, they thought that they were too little for the task. This task is too big, and we're too small. Maybe if you had like, you know, a thousand other disciples, each of us with five loaves and two fish. But he says to them in verse 16, I like how he's so pointed and blunt with it. You give them something to eat. You do it. He gives the responsibility to them. And what is the, the natural response to that, that the disciples have? Us? Us? You want us to give 5,000 people something to eat. But we're nothing. We're nothing. Instead of looking at the sufficiency of Christ, the disciples were looking at themselves, and what they saw was their deficiencies. What they saw was their weakness. What they saw was their inability. They weren't up for the task. You know, this reminds me of what the prophet Samuel said to King Saul. He said, I'm basically going to paraphrase it for you, but he said, are you so small in your own eyes? Are you really so small? Do you really think so little of yourself? Do you not remember? Don't you realize that the Lord himself, the king of creation, the king with all authority, has anointed you. This king has consecrated you. He has set you apart. He commissioned you to be the king of Israel. Why are you so small in your own eyes? Why are you acting like a wuss? That's kind of how I would interpret that. If you have the Lord's anointing, you have permission. You have a commission. You have a license to be bold. To go, not in your own power and strength, right? This isn't like a, a self-help, self-motivation speech, all right? This is not going in your own power or your authority or strength. This is going in your king's name, in his authority and power. He has commissioned you. He has sent you. And if you go in the power and authority of Christ, why the heck are you such a wuss, right? You need to hear that. I need to hear that. We need some straight talk, right? <clears throat> You've got a license. You're not going in your own strength or authority. You're going in the strength, power, and authority of the Lord of all. The King who sits at the right hand of the Father. So why are you so small in your own eyes? I think that that is what Christ is saying to the church, in a sense. Why are you so small in your own eyes? Don't you know that I've raised you up to be a light? I've made you salt. I raise you up to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, to be my ambassadors, to be my messengers of reconciliation, the message I gave you. Don't you remember that I set you apart to be a holy nation, 
a royal priesthood, to minister before my throne. Why are you so small in your eyes? You have a great anointing. I shed my blood to cleanse you. I baptized you. I washed you clean with the washing of the Holy Spirit. I anointed you with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Why are you so small in your own eyes? You have a great anointing. Live up to it. Live up to it. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and of the calling that you've been called to. Well, what a... What a high calling that is. What a manner that is to walk in. I won't get into it much, but there's a, there's a flip side to this too, this, this mindset. Instead of looking to the sufficiency of Christ, we can look to the deficiencies of ourselves. but also, instead of looking to the sufficiency of Christ, we can look to the sufficiency of ourselves, thinking that we're enough thinking that instead of looking at any kind of deficiencies that we might have, having a blind eye to it, looking at the mirror. I know some other men here probably do this like I do, right? You know, flexing, right? And you, you see me. You see you. Look at this. Well, there ain't much to flex, but I do it. I look at that mirror and I, you know? Like, oh, aren't I something, you know? I got this. I'm pretty good at what I do, right? Sometimes I listen to my sermons like, that was a good joke, that was a good joke. <laughs> right? If only those clowns down the street could take some notes, right? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That's the wrong I'm not saying that's right, okay? But that is, that's, I think that's the attitude that we can get, right? Is to look at our own sufficiency, to start being blind to our deficiencies and think we really got it, that we're really up to the task. We're up to the task. You know, it it reminds me of a proverb, whoever boasts in a false gift that they have something that they don't have is like clouds and wind without rain, right? It's like this promise of blessing, clouds and rain, we're about to, our clouds and wind, we're about to have some rain. But no, it's just show. It's all show. It's empty. Where's the blessing? You're all talk and no power. Paul said in Romans 12, 3, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. You're not as big as you think. You're not that great. So though these two different approaches look pretty different, they, they look different on the outside. It looks like two, two very different problems, but the same issue is at hand. Both take you from looking at the sufficiency and power of Christ, that He is enough. They take your eyes off of that and put them right onto yourself. You're looking at yourself rather than the sufficient King of the universe. And both of these limit the potential of the kingdom of God. So those are the five limitations. The place is desolate. 
the day is over. The means are too little. The need is too great, and we were too small. Faced with these limitations and with these challenges to his power, what does Jesus do? He responds, interestingly, interestingly enough, with a challenge of his own, right? We've read it time and time again, verse 16. He says, you give them something to eat. You see, the disciples, they needed to have their faith challenged. They needed to have their faith stretched, tested. Jesus was giving them an opportunity to practice faith. He's challenging these people who think that they're so small in this desolate place at, this, at the end of the day when they don't have enough when the need is too great, he's challenging them and saying, you feed them. His challenges and his test is, will they look to all of those things, all of these things that should be limitations, or will you look to Christ? Will you look to him? You know, of all those limitations, none of them prevented the Lord from doing a work they didn't limit the Lord. Nor did, interestingly enough, that the Lord rebuke them for these limitations. You know, He doesn't rebuke them for not remembering to bring food. Why don't you guys think about this and bring some food for the people? He doesn't blame the people, the crowds, for not preparing and having brought food, right? He doesn't blame them for their problem, for their need. He doesn't rebuke them for having these limitations, but what he's doing here is addressing their little faith. That's their real problem. As far as I can see, there's really three real problems that the disciples have. I'm going to kind of touch on each of them, but that's, the, that's one of their real problems is that they had a little faith. It's just like the people that we saw that Ben preached on at Jesus' hometown in Nazareth, right? They were limiting the power of Christ by their little faith. They're like, we know this guy. Who's he? What's he going to do? So after, it's interesting, after Jesus performs this miracle, after everyone is stuffed, what are the disciples left with? They're left with 12 baskets of food, brimming with food, one for each of them. It's a challenge. Did you not see that I was able to provide? Here, take a basket of food. Maybe that'll show you that I'm able to do whatever I want. But they didn't learn their lesson. Jesus had done a powerful miracle. They didn't learn their lesson. And they forgot what he had done. Their faith was still small after that. And in chapter 15, we see almost the same exact story unfold. It's kind of like, wait, didn't I just read this? It's another hungry crowd. This time, it's 4,000 people. And when Jesus says that he's unwilling to send them away hungry, what are the disciples, what's their reaction? Okay, let's see you do it again, 
right? That was great the last time. Let's do it again. This is exciting. We're going to feed another crowd, right? That was in chapter 15, verse 33, when they said that. I'm just paraphrasing it. No, they didn't say that. They, it's like they entirely forgot what just happened. What did they say? If you, I think it's, uh, the verse is up there if uh, you want to put it up. Is it? No, 1533, Matthew 1533. Oh, oh, maybe it's not up there. Well, in Matthew 1533, it says, they, their response to him was this, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? It's like, are you kidding me? Are you, do you have amnesia? They literally, that's why I call it miracle amnesia. They literally can't, they have this unique capacity, this acute ability to forget what the Lord has done in the past. It's like, what do you mean where? What are you talking about where are you going to get this? Don't you remember? Don't you remember when Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish? Now you've got 4,000 people and like seven loaves and three fish. That's a little bit more, right? It's like it's a little bit easier this time. They were just suffering from miracle amnesia. They were forgetting what, all that, the power that Christ had performed in their life in the past. Thank God that we don't do this, right? <laughs> Thank God we don't do this. Let's move on to the next one. But that's what we do. It's like, it's like, you know, as I'm going to Montpelier and I'm thinking about what the Lord has to do there, it's like I totally just forgot everything that the Lord has done in this church. It's like when we, we prayed for a miracle, when we were getting kicked out of a classroom by the bishop, right? Anybody know that story? Pretty interesting. And we were praying, Lord, give us a building. Would you just give us the keys to a building? And he gave us this building, this building with the property, the barn house over there, and the other, the white building in front. He gave us. He provided. It's like a million-dollar property in South Burlington. Who finds that? Who gets that? But we forget so easily how the Lord has provided in the past. Their other problem was that they couldn't see Jesus for who he was. They were blind to who Jesus was. Later, they're walking down the road, and Jesus, he gives them a little teaching, and in this teaching, he mentions something about bread. Bread comes up. And what do the disciples think when they hear this, this mention of bread? They say, oh shoot, he mentioned the bread because we forgot to bring the bread. That's why he said that we forgot to bring. Judas, you idiot, why'd you forget the bread? It's like, are you serious? And Jesus he knows that they're talking about this. And chapter 16, verses 8 through 10, what does he say to them? Oh, you of little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Don't you see me for who I am? Haven't you seen what I've done in the past? Do you not remember? How could you forget the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets you gathered? The seven loaves for the 4,000? How many baskets you gathered? How could you forget? How could your faith be so small? Don't you see me who for, for who I am? The disciples, all they could see were a lot of limitations, but they couldn't see their real problems. Their real problems. And Jesus takes this opportunity to show them their real problems. They had a little faith. They had a miracle amnesia, and they couldn't see him for who he was. 
Yet even so, here in this, this passage we've been looking at, in this, the state of the place, in the character of the hour, in the smallness of what's at hand for use, in the great bigness of the need, even through the deficiencies of his people, Jesus accepts this challenge and he does the impossible. He feeds 5,000 people with five loaves. But look briefly at how he does it. Look at this phrase in verse 19. And look at this particular phrase where he says, He looked up to heaven. He looked up to heaven. You see, Jesus' eyes were fixed on his provider, his father. They were fixed on the place that could provide all things. The storehouses that are limitless. He didn't look to the earth. He didn't look to the villages. He didn't look to the crowds. He didn't look to the disciples. He looked to heaven for help. And Jesus is our example in this. We also must look to heaven for every work, every provision, every miracle, everything that we need. Every time we see the sin that's plaguing us, we must look to heaven for help, for change, the miracle of sanctification, of taking sin from us, of give, teaching us discipline and self-control. Every need, every barren, every barren time, every time we're looking for fruit, we must look to heaven. And we must, the, the, with the little that we have to offer, the small hands that we have, we have to raise it all up as an offering to heaven. We must take our five loaves and two fish and give it to the Lord and say, Lord, what would you do with this? What would you do with this small little bit that I have? Take the little I have. Use it. Multiply it. Let it be useful for you. Your will be done. Accomplish your good pleasure by this little I have to offer. Satisfy many. That's the other great principle of the kingdom of God we're seeing here is that he makes much out of small things. The Lord loves to make much out of small things. The Lord loves to take a little and satisfy many. He loves to take the small, weak things and show his power. Oh, you see this time and time again throughout Scripture. And Jesus, of course, he calls himself the bread of life. I am the bread of life who satisfies many, as many as believe. And the disciples, though they were few in number, he multiplied them. He spread them across the known world and he multiplied them until there were so many who believed. They changed their generation. Christianity has always seen this kingdom principle at work. Individuals, small groups, weak, small people being used to do great things by the power of Christ. A handful of reformers changed the West, right? In the 14, 1400s to 1600s. The Moravian Church 
It was a small countryside church, but they sent out a hundred missionaries and changed the face of their generation, of the world. George Whitfield, he was one man in his early 20s, but he responded to the call of the Lord to preach, and he preached to millions, and he changed the whole face of the West in his generation. He single-handedly brought revival. I say single-handedly. There's other people involved, you know, Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, but he preached to millions of people and changed so much. You see, in bleak times and places, the Lord loves to use small things, and he loves to satisfy many. So I wonder, church, what could we accomplish? What could we accomplish if we had this attitude? If only we believe that this kingdom will not be limited, this Jesus will not be limited, that his heavenly power is mighty, it is sufficient, that he is with us, his spirit is among us, We are in a time where the Spirit has been poured out in power to do great things. What if we remembered his past faithfulness and power toward us? And if we saw him for who he really was, imagine how that could change everything that we touch. Everything. I think we'd see more miracles in Burlington and Vermont and our country. I think we'd see more people satisfied in desolate places. And I ask the Lord to do this. May the Lord do this. May the Lord give us open eyes to the great power that is at work in us and through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm reminded of what you spoke through your prophet Zechariah. Who has despised the day of small things? I'm reminded of your heart that you, you love to choose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You love to choose the lowly and despised things of the world, the things that aren't to nullify the things that are. Lord, this is your heart. So take us. We are small. We see the reality. We, we're not delusional. We see the state we're in, the city we're in the generation we're in. We know it's impossible, naturally speaking. We do not look to our own sufficiency or power, what we have at hand. We look to you, King Jesus. We look to heaven and we say, God, would you please pour out your power? Show your might, your right hand that is able to deliver through our church. Take hold of us. Do great things. Lord, and for everyone here, that has their own deficiencies, their own things that they're looking at, their lack, their need, their own sources of despair. Lord, would you assure them of your power that it is limitless? Lord, in all these things we ask of you in the power and name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.